Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. I'm joined in through Zoom with my co-host Luke Badman and we have J- Jason Furman from Einswick on the line. How you doing, boys? Good, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate your Any, time. Anytime, mate. Anytime. I have to say that I apologize for this episode coming out late, but last week I suffered COVID and now it's Luke's turn to be going through the spicy flu. Yeah. We're not so. even in the same room and I still caught it. And I caught it from my, my lovely fiance brought it home from work. Yeah. Um, so I'm very around. grateful, you know. Well, we're still here. We're surviving the pandemic. So this is good signs. But um, wow, we've got we're a lot to talk about. The floods. Yeah. Oh my God. Tell us a little bit about that. I know that we, you're going through round two now and you guys are having yeah. a bit of trouble. Yeah. It's pretty, it's, well, it's not, not as bad as it was last time. Um, all the roads around my place are sort of knee deep with water at the moment. So I had to sort of run the gauntlet to get home this morning uh, after work. Um, I've still got no bridge to get into my property. That's that's a non-existent runner at the moment. That all got washed out. So uh, unless someone wants to start a GoFund and donate me $80,000 to fix my bridge, I'm going to be riding a quad bike up and down my driveway next few months. Sorry to hear, man. I know that you showed us some photos a couple of, what was about like maybe a month and a half ago and you're yeah. still suffering through that. Yeah, so this is round guys. two, right? It was like, you know. There's probably, a few weeks probably ago. round three or four for us here. Oh, right. um, the problem with my place is I've got a, a creek running through it with an old bridge um, that was built in 1912, I think it was built. And the people either side of me like mucking around with uh, the watercourse and changing how it flows and everything. So my creek's still original, but theirs is wider. So oh. the water hurls, it hurls sort of like down a, a funnel and hits my place and then, yeah, everything just gets eroded and hence why my bridge is now collapsed about eight feet into the creek. Well, if you're going to put a new bridge, would you widen it and then put a bigger one? Oh, <laughs> mate, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the creek. There's at least... At least ten grand, at least three or four days worth of just an excavator just getting in there and reprofiling the creek. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then there's God knows how much money involved in rebuilding the bridge. So I've got Folks to do it. Rural living. Yeah, yeah. The joys of living in the bush. Um, it's got to get done. There's no two ways about it. I've got to get done. But for the moment, I'll just sort of live with the. Now that I've got a quad bike. It's a lot easier getting up the hill, but before we had no water, so I was carrying up jerry cans of water up the hill every day and everything else that I carry up and down the hill, dog meat was coming up and down the hill. My meat was coming up and down the hill. Um, I got some deer the other week, so I had to carry those on my shoulder up the hill. You get the dogs on a sled and pull it up. Not my dogs. <laughs> the crazy thing as well is like the summer just before all of this COVID stuff started, like the whole, well, the East Coast anyway was on fire. And now, two years yeah. later, we're under six foot of water. Yeah, we we don't because around here the the bushes tend to manage their um, their pastures a lot better than obviously what they do down there. Near me is not too much in the way of state forest or anything like that. It's all it's all cattle country. So during the summer, there's it's just dust. 
So there's, there's not a hell of a lot. We get fires in the state forest and all that sort of stuff, but it, it doesn't really affect us too much around here. We just cop the heat. We yeah. get those mid-40 mid days in summer. That's Is that all? all? Well, for our American <laughs> our Fahrenheit listeners, what's that? That's well into the hundreds, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 110 or something like that in weirdo money. <laughs> I don't know. I have, I have problems. I have problems dealing with. Like I've got a lady in Texas at the moment that's looking after a, a pup of mine that I'm importing soon, and she's saying, "Oh, it's ninety degrees today." I'm like, oh, "What is that in real money?" Sounds like degrees. a cup of tea. Ninety degrees. Yeah, I'm like ninety degrees. That's only like thirty five. Oh, that's nothing. Jesus. You yeah, but then that. when I'm talking to you about centimeters, and you want me to talk in inches. Yeah, but I can. But I'm old enough and smart enough that I can go both ways. I can do meters, feet, millimeters. You're the one that has problems with millimeters. You shouldn't, but you, you have problems with it. No, millimeters fine. I don't know inches. Are oh, your imperial system. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I I grew up with with the metric. I'm not that old that I had the the imperial system when I went to school. But as I think I said to Panos once, everything in the in the hunting and shooting world is in feet and. Feet mm. per second, and it's all in imperial. So you sort of your brain's switching back and forwards very, very quickly. Totally, Jason. Tell us a little bit about your job and your involvement in the dog world. I know that you, you have a few different avenues, but start off with you know what you do as a everyday gig, and then we can kind of talk a little bit about how you got into it and stuff. So my my gig at the well, my main gig, which I probably just I just call my actual job. I own a. Um, a security company up here in Queensland, specialising in mobile patrols uh, with dogs. So I go from business to business to business to business to business, check the doors are locked, check there's no grubs hanging around, and just basically uh, perform a deterrent. Um, so that's that's my main gig. I do about 600 k's a night doing that. Um, I cover the area I cover is probably one of the largest mobile patrols in Queensland. Um, and you that, drive yeah, 600 that, kilometers every time you do a shift on an, on an average night. Yeah, right. Like if I've been super busy, oh, it's not unusual for me to do seven, eight hundred on a really busy night. Yeah, wow. So yeah. it's it's a big it's a big it's a big drive. Hence why most of my vehicles have got well, my, my current Triton, um, it's three years old and it's got three hundred ninety thousand k's on it. Wow. Yeah, so that's wild. I, I I crank a few kilometers up every night, and I do it using your car. Yeah, seven nights a week. My last uh, night, other than being flooded in two nights recently, um, my last night off was the fifteenth of December. So I I do it seven nights a week. That's heavy duty. And how many people do you have going out and doing what you do? Or is it just me? Just me at the moment. I got sick of. Um, the industry is uh, full of, uh, I hate to be, I've got to try to put this nicely, lazy bastards, um, and they just don't want to work. And I don't expect anybody to work anymore. Why do you think anymore. that is? Oh, it's your generation. You're just you young snowflakes that only want to do your 36-hour weeks. You're sort of like urban hippie soy boys. You just want to, don't want to work. Like us old fellas, we just grunt. We oh, have well, more, more, more work for you then. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of getting a bit jack of it since, well, before, since COVID started, I've probably had 
maybe five, maybe six nights off since COVID started in the last two years. Yeah, well. So and it's sounds yeah. like you need to do some more work, mate. If you ask me. Yeah, yeah. well, that's that's only one of my jobs. We're going to get to the others, but I have a couple of questions because I haven't really fo- pro- properly discussed, and and I guess it's a good opportunity for because uh, most of our listeners are pet dog owners, and you know maybe the world of you know protection dogs and dogs that work with for that sort of utility, it's something that's kind of foreign to us. It's you know we may see you know the police dog from time to time, and you may see a German Shepherd standing with a security guard in front of a an establishment from time to time, but. Um, what what what's involved in the training and the management of the dogs, and also when was the last time? Like, tell us a story of you know. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I, got any I, good worries for us? Or I, I try to avoid the war stories. Um, okay. Back in the day, like twenty years ago, we used to be all about the the war stories. Now, just with public liability and everything like that, totally. we 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 avoid it. Um, I respect or I that. Do. Um, and you sound like a complete cowboy yobbo if you're talking about bites and all that sort of stuff. It happens. Um, it, How often? It, oh, now, not very often. It's When you say now, a, what do you mean? Oh, in the last 10 years, I've probably had six bites, um, justified bites and a couple of muzzle strikes, but that's unusual. That's The area I cover is... It's not the the greatest area on earth. There's a lot of uh, methamphetamine problems, so I'm mm. dealing with a lot of uh, hopped up clowns um, with bad attitudes. Um, I'm in a very rural area, so the meth problem seems to be magnified in those areas. Um, how much extra work does it create when you get a bite? It depends how quickly you can resolve it. A lot of the t- sometimes the coppers are very very cool about it, um, and they're like, "Okay, here's a statement." go the last bite was 12 months ago and i still haven't been called for a statement or anything like that you can be lucky you can get those ones other times it could be hours and hours and hours and hours of of sitting at the police station uh the dog mainly statement because you did say before as a deterrent so people see the dog they see the man walking around (laughs) at night time and who wants to mess around with the dog so that works but is it 99, 99% of the time? It, Depends how much drugs they've had, right? Oh, yeah. If they're, if they're um, messed out, uh, it, yeah, they don't care. They don't one, care. Like one, of my, one of my good mates is a handler for the cops here, right? German Shepherd, like a GP dog. Yep. And he said, yeah, it's the same thing. Like 90, 90 plus percent of them will surrender when you challenge them, except for drugs like meth, right? Yep. Or they know they're going back to jail for a long time and they're willing yep. to risk it. Yep, right. Exactly they'll, right. They'll roll the dice, right? Yeah, they don't, they don't care. They've got nothing to lose. Yeah, but would you say that like, the dog is more for your personal protection or to enhance the job that you do? It's both. Yeah. Not like my number one job doing what I do is to get home at the end of my shift. That's yeah. my number one job. Um, and obviously, client wishes come after that. So I, I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to put myself anywhere that jeopardizes me not getting home. So gone are the days when I was in my 20s when we used to sort of be heroes about everything we did. Now we're very cognizant of it. It's just it's just not worth it. When when do you think that shifted that that sort of atmosphere? I reckon it would have been maybe late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Mm. 
we sort of follow the Yanks. We became a very litigious society. So <clears throat> there was a few guys on the north side of Brisbane got taken civilly for um, bites. The bites were justified, but they were still taken civilly. So that changed it and everyone sort of – and plus most of us handlers that have been around for a long, long time, we're old. We're like late 40s, 50s, and we're like, uh, it's just not worth it anymore. We're just – we're old. We've gotten fat. We've gotten lazy. And we just don't want to – we just don't want to be in the middle of – the middle of it anymore there's there's young handlers out there that like the action that want to be go 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 but the greater majority of people that have been in for 10 plus years we just we don't want it anymore what so breed of dog is is doing your job sorry I cut you off uh, what breed of dog that i'm running yeah i'm i'm running exclusively dobermans at the moment for myself they suit me i've got a puppy screaming in the background oh there he is hello hey little little <laughs> bastard um, <laughs> is it a Doberman? Yeah, I've got a litter of Dobermans out, out in the open pens behind me in the day pens. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm exclusively running Dobermans. They suit me. They suit my personality. I just like them as a dog. There's, there's, I'd say the industry is probably up here 80% Malinois. It's yeah. getting closer to 80%. Um, there's a few German Shepherds still in the industry. I don't know. Anybody that's running Dobermans up here, but I keep fairly insulated. No rot wheelers. I've I haven't seen a fat wilder working in the industry mm. for a long, long time. It'd be at least 10 years. But I'm very insulated. I keep to myself. I don't um hang around with other guards. I I just sort of keep to myself. Like I've got a group of guys that I train with, they've got males. Um, there's a couple of couple of shepherds in that crew. Um, but other than that, it's 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 just males. It, it's a lot easier to find a really good male than it is to find a really good Doberman or Shepherd. So two questions. Well, well, you kind of sort of half answered one there. What do you like about um, Dobermans? And, yeah, I guess why do you think the 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 Mal- Malinois are so prevalent now? Um, I, I, I like, I, first of all, I like the personality of the dog. I, I do like the breed. I liked the breed before I started working them. Um, they're, they're goofy. They're frustrating. Um, they're very slow to mature, um, super athletic, not lazy. I used to have Roddies, um, and if you were doing a 12-hour shift standing at a, a, outside a nightclub or something like that, you four hours in a Roddy would start to get weary and sort of start switching off and lie down and <clears throat> just not, not – it's just not bred to do that. Um um, and just the dobes just suit me. They just they just suit me. Um, Mal's don't suit me. I get a lot of Malinois through here. Um, I've owned plenty of. I just they're just not my dog. They're just everybody's got their breed. Pat gives Dobermans heaps, and he gives right wheelers heaps, and he gives shepherds heaps. I give Malinois heaps. It's just what we do. It's they're just not they're just not my dog. They're great for. The dogs I do export, but I'm just I'm just not interested in owning one personally. Some people like Fords, some people like Holdens, right? Yeah, and some people drive Tritons. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and um, how long have you been doing that for? The security. Uh, work? I started in 1985. Yeah, well, so just so, the new, just the new guy, huh? New guy on the block. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a long. <laughs> You've been doing that again. longer than Panos or I have been alive. Yeah, that's crazy. That. I'm, I'm, I'm well. I'm probably old enough to be your dad's. Yes. Well, I guarantee it. 
Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, I, I started bouncing in nightclubs in in eighty five. I was in still at school, so I'd um like work the night on the door of a nightclub and then try to <laughs> try to study during the day. Didn't work. Failed dismally <laughs> and everything. And then yeah, that's just I just stayed in it. It was really really at the time. It was really good money. It was a good lifestyle. Um. And now it's pretty much the same money as it was in the eighties. There's there's no money in the industry at all. You well. And how much training goes into the dogs that you're working? And how many dogs come with you uh, um, each at, night? At at the moment, I'm only taking uh, three with me at work at the moment, just because it's just it's just hard taking more dogs up and down the hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but normally, I'll take at least six dogs with me to work every night. Not that I need six dogs to work every night. I'm always developing a younger dog. I've got my main bitch that I work. She goes to work seven nights a week. Um, and then I've got a couple of younger dogs. And then in the cabin of the car, I have the potatoes. Yep. Just my little my little toy dogs. that Come for the cruise. Yeah, they're just there. They're good fun. They make me laugh. They sort of keep me awake. They do stupid things all night long. And, yeah, they're good fun. And tell us what breed that those little dogs are. Oh, the potatoes? They're yeah. mini bulls. Nice. And we and, and you showed me a lot of them and tell us the qualities of, of, of that dog because you don't see many oh, of them around. They're phenomenal. Like uh, if I wasn't working in this industry, I wouldn't own anything other than mini bulls. Um, the ones I have came from Katrina Hartwell, who we all know very well. Super, super stable dogs. Little tiny dog. Um, they're only about twelve inches at the shoulder. Um, my oldest bitch weighs eight kilos, so she's only a little, little like tiny a little. Oh, but she's got the drive of any Malinois. She's just a lunatic, um, bomb-proof, loves people, loves animals, loves – like there's nothing that she doesn't love. Temperament is just stable, just phenomenal little dog. So much fun. They've got big personalities. They're goofy. They're stupid. They're just great. They're great fun. It's good to have that balance, you know, having the, the, the more serious working dogs and having to keep up with that, having – like, for example, myself having Nookie, you know, the small, you know, I would say we'll say the useless dog. I'm not using her for work so much, but having that that fun and entertainment when you have the the training side of it, you know, like, yeah, for example, yeah, with yeah. Chili, I do a lot of training with him because he has the drive, the the physicality for it, everything else, and and you need to. Um, where having, having that balance kind of makes it a lot more easier. Would you yeah, say it's 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 great it's it's great for me because dogs will always work. It's for the for however long it's been now, dogs will work, 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 work. Couldn't have a dog in the house unless it was a working dog. With these little potatoes, they, they like one of them doesn't even know sit. It they yeah. like literally doesn't know sit. She'll come sometimes. She won't sit, she won't drop nothing. Like Midge, the older one, she'll she'll sit, she'll drop, she'll do little stupid um, monkey drills. She'll have, but she, that's not what they're there for. They just, it, it sort of invigorated me a little bit, got me a yeah. little bit more excited back in there, just having dogs. And I'd yeah. said for years that I'll never own a dog if it doesn't work. Like I can't have bowl lickers. And now I've got two of them plus puppies. Now, yeah, I, would, totally. I would never, I would never speak for him, but w- w- the way you're talking now, Makes me wonder if there's a bit of that dynamic um, with with Glenn and his Frenchies, you know, oh, like because exactly, he's, exactly he's got his fine. shepherds, right, and then he's got his Frenchies, right, and the Frenchies are always on his Instagram, um, yeah. doing all kinds of funny shit. 
Right. Well, I've, I've got a TikTok just for the potatoes. I haven't, go. got a tick, haven't got a TikTok for the Dobermans. Yeah. They, they don't do stupid stuff. Mm. <clears throat> but they're good. It, it, it gives you that even even that balance. It balance it, I've found it balances me out. It's made me enjoy just dogs being dogs. There's no yeah. expectations of these little clowns. And they do what they want. They're like they're asleep. I've got two puppies asleep at my feet and one sitting on the on the dinner chair. And the one I don't know where she is, she's running around the house somewhere hunting mice and lizards. It's an interesting topic too because it's like how do you, um, even as trainers, like how do we define the the worth or whatever the value of a dog? Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a a working dog, you know what I mean? They have so many different aspects of dogs that we love, right? Oh, I was like that for years. I I would not own a dog if it wasn't going to work. It was just, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't justify. But now I'm like, eh, I've got potatoes. I scream at them. I yell at them. They're goofing around the house. They pack of four of them were doing zoomies, tearing the house up this morning. It looked like <laughs> four four winos had torn torn the house to shreds. And I laughed. I just that's great. I love them. Love them to death. How often are you training the dobies and how much training goes into having a dog that has utility? Um I I train every day. There's no two ways. There's no <clears throat> excuse me. There's no two ways I don't I don't get. The only time I don't get and out and train because I've got access to um, shopping centres, undercover car parks, all that sort of stuff, schools. So it might not be formal training as in sit, drop, stay here, some detection work. It just might be take them in a lift, up a set of stairs, in a dark alleyway, up ramps, everything. But I'm doing something with all the dogs every day. I, I, I don't, it's very rare, very, very rare that I don't do something with them every day. And then five minutes here, ten minutes there. Some nights I, I could put, depending if, if it's a quiet night, I might get over a 12-hour night, maybe an hour and a half's training spread out over that entire night. Just depends how the nights go. Like last night, I got five minutes in only because I got stuck at a break and then for three hours. Yeah. And, so. and with, um, with the training and your socialisation, can you tell the people what it is? Because we have this misconception, you'd think a guard dog has to be aggressive. He wants to bite everybody all the time. What What are your dogs like if someone was a, you know, a visitor was to come over to your house, or or if you were on a walk and somebody walked past you? What are your dogs I, like? Look, I've ha- I've had a joke for years and years. If you wanted to try to break into my house, my dogs would help you carry the TV out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're when they're not at work, they're just like they'll bark. Someone will turn up. They'll bark. They'll They'll growl, they'll spit. They won't, but they won't. They're not super aggressive. I think it's like those windows of training. Mm-hmm. They know at home it's unacceptable behavior. Like going going bonkers is unacceptable behavior, and being aggressive and all that sort of stuff. It's just not. It's just no. Nah, it's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. But at work, once they sort of go into the cage, oh, be as feral as you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can walk around like my older bitch. Nine times out of ten, if I'm walking around a shopping centre, I didn't even put a lead on her. Mm-hmm. But she's a super social dog. She's she was raised to be super social, and, and it's gone are the days of having just a feral animal. In the eighties, yep. we were requ- I don't know if we required. I don't think we knew any better. Eighties um, and nineties, every dog was just was just completely feral. Yep. And no, it just made for it just made for too hard a night. Now mm-hmm. all my dogs, I want my dogs to not 
actively look for affection from somebody else, but I just want them to be neutral. Yeah. <clears throat> like happy to get a pat if, if I give them, the, give them the nod, but not be not to be pulling at the end of the lead to to go and go and get pats. But the Take potatoes, it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. But the potatoes, oh, I don't care. If, exactly. if I'm walking around a shopping centre and a client's there and they've seen the dog, I'll let them out of the car and they can just yeah. go and jump all over the people. For sure. But I guess that's a good way of thinking about it is that when work's on and we're actually doing the thing that there's a window of opportunity for for behaviour, but yep. they're not walk- – like, so I remember back in the day, you know, when you hang out with your dumb friends and, you- and I remember one of the boys said, oh, you know how they – uh, make the detection dogs, they get them addicted to the drugs and the dog can look for the dog, the drug and get it, right? Um, and everyone obviously believed that. You're like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Um, but obviously now, you know, with us three sitting in this virtual room, we know that that's like the most ridiculous thing in the whole wide world. Yeah, and we didn't know any better. Exactly. But then you would say as well, well, how about an aggressive dog, a dog that's supposed to bite somebody if he's supposed to when he's told to? Does that mean that he's angry all the time? But it's just like um, a police officer or a, um, a a military person. They don't When they're in civilian life, they're not walking around, you know, doing espionage. Just when the work is on, this is when you're a trained yep. killer. And then when you're out of duty. And then, of course, if the time calls for it, you know, you get attacked walking down the street. When you're not at work, your dog will still have that instinct then to protect you and to do what yeah. he has to well, do, right? As you know, a lot of a lot of the dogs that you and I see that are the most aggressive are the most fearful dogs. Yeah, exactly. And, and we don't want those dogs. We, no. Oh, the, the potatoes are playing. <laughs> we don't. We don't want those sharp, shy, nervy, fearful dogs. We want the bold dogs. We want the dogs that are confident. That like. Just like a boxer that walks down the street, they don't have to prove their point every every second they're walking down the street. They're just like, ah, oh, I I know what I can do. I don't need to to puff up and walk around like this all night long. So exactly. and and also and it makes for a, for a crappy night at work if you've got a dog that's pulling on the lead all night long, wanting to have a go at people, barking at people all the time. Oh, I tell you, I mean, you, I've had dogs here that just will just spark for. 10 hours in the back of the ute and you get sick of that really quickly. And it doesn't show that the dog's comfortable. Like him, it may, you know, deter people, but he, under the crunch of a moment, some of those dogs may, I remember there was a story from someone who's been doing, uh, you know, security work for a long time and it was his first ever dog. I think it was a Doberman, but he thought, Oh, you know, my dog will always protect me. And the situation actually unfolded and two guys were beating the crap out of him. The leash got let go, and the dog ran away. Yeah, it, and it, <laughs> well, yeah, or it could have it, bitten it, him. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a there's a scenario that that we ran um, at a training conference in the Philippines that I was teaching at, and all these guys were saying, "Yeah, my dog will protect you." And we basically did a, I suppose you'd call it a grappling session. Mm-hmm. I was in a suit, and and the guy, the handler was in a, a hidden suit, and nine times out of the ten. The handler got bit 99.9 because if I'm on top of the guy, the dog, I don't know whether it's opportunity or whatever, but the dog's like, oh, I'm not going to try to go for the big guy that's obviously beating up my boss. I'll just get in on that and swap time, swap teams. And it happens, interesting. it happens a lot. It happens a hell of a lot. It's not well, like you can ask the dog why he's doing it either. No, not not yet anyway. Would you, Elon, would you Elon say Musk that? Elon will figure that out soon. Yeah, exactly. Would you say that that's a product of – Insecurity. If if it was your dog, would you think the same situation would happen? 
Oh, <laughs> listen to these little potatoes. Um, yeah. oh, I don't know. I it's it's too hard guessing. Yeah, guessing. I, a lot of it's a lot of it's these dogs have never been exposed to a situation like that too. Yeah. So, in my world, doing a during scenario based training that that can head. Can you hear that? Yes, I can. It's not That's too right. bad. It's fine. Oh, they're it's only a, babies. It's supposed to happen. <laughs> they're just going off their brains. There's four of them. I mean, this is animals. a dog podcast, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least it's not screaming dogmas. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, look, a lot of the stuff that happens on the street, accidents are just training issues, just not the dog not being developed right. Yeah. And would you say that's the importance of doing dog sports with, with or even understanding the dog sports side of the world when to, you're yeah. yeah. I used to be I used to be very very anti dog sports years ago. Couldn't couldn't see the point of it. Um, where where that, did that opinion sort of come from? It was just the general consensus of opinion across across the industry. That sport, these those dogs aren't serious. They're not this. They're not that. They're not this. They're not that. And it was like oh, I couldn't even tell you when when it, there's still that opinion throughout the industry now, but it's getting less and less and less. Yeah. Um, in the more more enlightened handlers, um, they're looking looking to sport for the cutting edge because that's where the cutting edge is. The cutting edge isn't. I hate to say it's not in the pet dog training, but the cutting edge is in that sport stuff, and that filters down to all to more. Yeah, so it's like you look at um, scent work or nose works. Everything that everything that's gone into that has come has filtered down from the cutting edge working. Detection dogs, and it's. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, oh, it's exactly the it's exactly the same process. The only difference is in the um, sport world, i.e., in the detection side of things, is less drive. There's less purpose bred dogs. It's sort of more fulfilling for the dog than it is an actual job. So it's more more fun. Not saying that the working dogs aren't having fun, but it's less pressure. Well, like you, if you're using an analogy, or I guess an example, an analogy would be you're a trained killer. Let's say you're a police officer or a military person, somebody who's in the line of fire. And you would say practicing a martial art one way or another, and hopefully a more functional martial art would be good. First of all, yeah, for the fulfillment, mind, body, exercise, etc. But also you're pressure testing the things that you're supposed to know to a whole range of different type of people yeah. and and skill sets so that you're staying sharp and you're and you may not necessarily use the whole wrestling or grappling but there may be things that you can pressure test to see what works and what doesn't work and then what does work through the competitive people the ones that want to compete with it would then it would flow through into more self defense based stuff and then into actual reality and it's the exact same thing with, with the dog sports i've been to plenty of seminars they're talking about bite sports and advanced obedience and talking about scent detection and all that sort of stuff. And I've never really been involved in, in, in the sport world, but learning the things that I see them practicing, it's either, oh, this is where I can decrease drive in a dog, where you're trying to amp the dog up. I want to yeah. try to bring the dog down. And it's the same functions. Well, it's walking that same fine line because in the sport world, if your dog gets too amped up, you've still got to be able to cap that drive and, and level the dog yeah. off. Whereas yeah. you guys probably not, you don't want to crush the drive. You want to keep that drive, but you just want to keep it manageable. 
Exactly. So it's 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 sort of it's like sort of riding that wave. But then same with your dog. He you walk into a factory. There's somebody there. The guy runs at you with a pole, and you tell your dog, "Hey, you need to do the thing that we do now." And it doesn't mean that like he has to know when to do that. He can't walk around yeah. going, "Hey, there's a person there. He's holding something. I'm going to bite him." Yeah, it has yeah, to be yeah. on command. It has to be clear. And if he's confident and understands how to play the game, and you've practiced it in these sort of scenarios, then there's more likelihood that the dog actually understands what he's supposed to do. And yeah, it's, the, it's the dog that hasn't seen something that will generally end up in trouble. Yeah, that's very interesting. And it's important for other dog trainers listening is participating in the sport or or in a sport or even learning about it or going to the seminars that support that really help your skill set because you need to, because high stakes games require to cap the drive, as you said, but then also to learn the new techniques that everyone's, that these guys are playing around with, you know, the, the professionals and the competitors, they're playing around with so many different techniques and, and training styles with so many different types of dogs and seeing it from their colleagues and peers, it would be a waste for us to have to go out there as a pet dog owner and then have to like, you know, trial and error something for 20 years when people are already doing it. And so we've got to yeah. learn. Yeah, yeah I'm not. I'm not saying that the spot like there's a lot of incredible pet dog trainers out there, and they are cutting edge in themselves. But I I think that that real pushing the envelope to get that precision performance is in that sport dog world. Yeah, um, so true. And it changed the paradigm of how you guys saw training, what it was in the yeah. '80s compared to oh, it is now. It's chalk and chalk and cheese. What mm. we did in the '80s. You, if you, if we put stuff like that up on YouTube, we'd just be laughed at. Mm -hmm. it, it, it'd just be a, a funny, funny reel. It was just horrendous. But we didn't know any better. It was. Yeah. It's like, like I'll give you an example. My when my my son was in grade three, um, a few years ago. Now he bought to me a mathematical problem, and I'm like, I got no idea. Mm -hmm. because what they're learning in grade three was so – it was nearly more advanced than what I learned in year 12. Yeah, wow. So everything's everything's evolved. Everything evolved. If, if it doesn't evolve, it's dead. It dies away. That's so true. Hey, tell they're us a bit about, about Einswick, and that's how we ha um, have keep our relationship because a, a lot of the products that I sell and use come from you. Um, tell us a little bit about what you guys do there. Um, so it's basically um, myself and a little bit of hand from my son and my ex-wife. Um, I sort of, I, I sort of got a little bit jaded with the whole uh, equipment industry probably six years ago. Um, there wasn't too many sources of of equipment in Australia, good quality equipment at a good price. There was always you could always get the very, very extreme like trial sleeves for three, four hundred. You could always get that really, really high end stuff, or you could get the really, really low end crap out of China. But there wasn't something in, in between. Like the average dog owner, the average person that's dabbling in sport, they don't want to pay forty dollars for a tug, or yeah. they don't want to pay six dollars for a tug from China that's going to fall apart. So I sort of noticed that there was a bit of a niche. Um, a uh, bit of a, a gap uh, in the market. Yeah, a bit of a gap in the market for good quality stuff. So I started sourcing sourcing equipment from a few suppliers, went went overseas to a few factories, um, and then sort of at the moment, it, look, I, I call it a hobby. Um, I don't rely on it for income. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy interacting with all the new people that I get to converse with. Um, 
And it's everyone. It's from the person that's got a, I don't know, snickerdoodle or whatever you call those little fluffy dogs right through to someone that's got a, a great Dane that wants it's everything in between. It's dealing with the just the pet owner that normally would buy from a chain store right through to fully committed trainers that are right on that cutting edge. Yeah, totally. So the thing that I've been using more more recently is um, using slip leads and the slip leads that you make with your own hands and, um, you know, and, and 10 meter long leads. Those are like the, some of the basic things that I um, stock for my clients because um, they're functional, they work really well, and they're actually pretty bloody hard to get good ones. Um, and for the everyday person, it's really hard to, for people to have access to it. I still don't get why there's not 10 meter long leads in pet stores. That still makes no sense to me. Um, but such a handy and lack useful. of training. I'd, I'd lack of training can like it's it's sort of it's the same sort of stories with the flexi leads. Everybody hates on flexi leads. So if you give a flexi lead to someone that doesn't know how to use one, they're going to be the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Same as a ten meter lead. If somebody has true. has no skills with a ten meter lead, they're going to be just as dangerous with yeah, that ten meter lead true. as a flexi lead. That's true. So, yeah. well, look, I think also. Um, you know, your, the, the products that, that you make, like, you know, the tugs, the, those um, those balls on the rope are the best things ever. Actually, the, mo- the more recent one that you sent me, the little one with the multicolored um, handle yep. has been yep. awesome. It has not fall, fallen apart once and it's so, well, such that, a handy that tool. Was, that was me because the standard Eurofine balls, they, the ball itself will last forever. Yeah. The the ropes never last. They just yeah. always get, they always tear off. They're just, they're just never made well. So I thought, oh, I can do better than this. So I started... I started hand sewing on Australian made rope and hand sewing it on and, and it was just became so tedious and I, I couldn't keep up with the order. Yeah. So I lashed out and bought a big flash $6,000 industrial sewing machine and that sort of opened up everything. It's sort of like I do the ro- doors on the rope, I can do the slips, I can do the Brahma web bleeds, I can do – if you can sew it, I can do it. Not that I, Not that I need like – something else to fill in my time with but no that's true but what prompted your shift to sorry guys what prompted your shift to um more of slip leads panels um well i was using a lot of martingale collars for years and years and dogs just either get desensitized or people just use them very poorly and they do they do require a bit more finessing don't they martingales yeah and a little bit more clunky so, like, you know, with the chain being on it and things like that and just, you know. Having to adjust it constantly. Exactly. And then also using a prong collar, which is really handy tool. They are, you know, exceedingly difficult to, to get our hands on. And also there was there had to be something in between. And slip leads, traditionally for me, and I know a lot of people were using them for years and years, but I was always avoiding it because I just didn't know if I could. And maybe it was just me staying in my own little echo chamber and just doing my own thing. But um, but starting to play around and using them more, and also so many of them that I was using before, they weren't made really nicely. I didn't like them. Well, it was, it's also the skills too, because like you look at a slip chain, like a slip, um, a choker chain. Mm-hmm. It's a slip collar. That's all yes. it is. Yes. So the, the function is the same. Yeah. So back in the day, it was used in totally different. It was cranking. Yeah. It was it was yep. a check check chain. The dog turned that way. You wanted to go that way. You. Check him. You check the dog. Now the pressure, the whole pressure release thing is as evolved. True. So yeah. we don't we don't need those. They, the old stuff did work, but it was a bit brutal. 
Now we don't yeah. need to do that. So that's where the, the the slip collars and the slip leads have sort of, like as I think I've said to you for God knows how many times, I don't even know when the last time I used any other tool for teaching yeah. loose lead walking other than a slip for years, for years and years. And I don't even know where my personal prong collar is. Yeah. It's, it's actually becoming it. my go-to as well. For so now, I'm just showing people slip lead straight up. I know that I'm supporting um, an, an Australian business. I know that they've been handmade. I think is you know something that's happened in the last two years that we need to encourage more Australian-made um, products, um, especially if you know if I'm going to be selling it to somebody, I want to believe in the product as well. But also, they freaking work. People are okay to use them. They're not that expensive, but you know they're the right price to match the quality and I haven't had one fail um, and and they're bloody working. So And they're um, easier to- It's the happy easier. middle ground, isn't it? For, yeah. well, they're, and they're also a lot more palatable to the average person. Yeah. It's like a slip lead is such an inoffensive thing. You walk down the street with a slip lead around your dog, you've seen them used at the vets. Mm-hmm. Everybody uses slip leads. Not all use them well, but everybody uses them. You walk down- I don't, I don't know. We'll say Mon- your area, Monterey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you walk down the street in Monterey with a with a prong collar on, you're going to get some weird looks. Mm-hmm. It does the same job, but one's exactly. less offensive. Yeah, look, and, and the prong collars still have their use because a, a person not knowing how to use a slip lead can do more damage than what someone could be where if they were using oh, prong it's, collar. It's, right? Look, it's not the, it's not the tool. It's the intentions of the tool. Hundred like percent. If you want to do, if you have intentions of being an asshole, you can be an asshole with a dog with a red crayon. Yeah, you can yeah. do just as much damage with a red crayon as you can with any tool. So exactly right. It's or a, it's not or the, a flat collar and a leash. It doesn't really. Yeah, matter. yeah. Well, we all saw that video getting around of that guy windmilling that poor dog. Mm-hmm. Um in the US and that was just a dog on a flat collar and he, and he broke its hips. Yeah. Pat was so, telling me a story the other day about the, I can't remember who he was, some trainer. I think it was on TikTok. <laughs> he put a dog on a harness and he co- connected, he put the prong on himself and he let the oh, dog no. walk, he, he let the dog walk him on the prong just to roll certain people up. And apparently it was pretty funny. I would do that. Yeah. Yeah, well, but look, I, I was expecting something to happen after that dog ran. No, 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 no. It was, <laughs> any, to, it was any, totally fine, sort of to yeah, prove no. his point. You know, exactly. Yeah, oh, you wouldn't wear a prong? No, I would actually. I would. Why not? Yeah, it's all the it's all the intentions of the user. It's not the what the tool. It's the, the user. If you want to be a, a dickhead with a crayon, you can be a dickhead with a crayon. Hundred percent. And look, and as you said, you know, people can buy slip leads from the pet store, but they're just going to wring the dog's neck and choke them out anyway. Put them I don't on think a harness. Can to be fair, I've never. Have you? I've never seen them in Sydney. I can't. Please. Yeah. Oh, no, they're becoming more like I'm seeing more people rock up or I'm going to people's house and like, and they've got a slip lead. It's the easy dog one is becoming like the one that okay. you're, you're seeing more in, in the stores. Um, that and crates, those are the two things that I've seen a big rise in the last like three to five years. People are okay with the box, people are okay with the rope. But I found, you know, a, like, you know, when I first started, because I only used a slip lead when I worked at the shelter and at the boarding kennels, I never had anything else except for a slip yeah, lead. Also known as a kennel leash. Yeah, just yeah. you use a slip lead. I use it so much more effectively, keeping it up nigh up high on the dog's neck, exactly how I use it now. It's just I didn't think it was acceptable to show somebody a rope. But now with more, you know, stepping out of my, getting out of my own way and, and using it, explaining it correctly, and when people get the results and then who cares, right? Um, everyone's well, happy. The, so. My local, my, the vet that I go to, my repo vet, they just had those little cheap, 
webbing. Blue and white ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the $3.50 ones. And I got I got sick of seeing those shocking things in there because they're always complaining. They're always yeah. saying they're losing 10 a day. So I went in, I made up 20. And so this this vet tech had this colour, this vet tech had that colour. Mm-hmm. Not one's been lost or stolen. Perfect. They've all got their own colour. And they and the owner of the vet surgery is stoked because I don't have to buy slip leads anymore. Yeah. Everybody's keeping their own and they're not getting stolen. How good is that? That's um, great. We were having a little chat over um, Messenger and why we um, decided to get you on was about dodgy breeding. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I know we can talk about that for ages. So, um, you got six again, hours? Yeah, exactly. We'll give us a full sure. condensed version. But, um, but with, um, and just with keeping in mind the people that are listening, people just think, oh, you know, you breed a dog, you breed a dog, male dog, female dog, we make babies. And there's obviously so much to it. And, um, and I know that you've had experience um, firsthand with breeding. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I've been breeding since the late 80s, I suppose, when I first bred um, some pig dog litters. Very hit and miss back then. But over the last probably 20 years, I've got pretty serious with breeding the Dobermans. Um, I'm very vocal um, about dodgy breeders. Uh, the way I do things is probably extreme. So I'll in what sense? Of, well, just just there's there's a big kerfuffle around the interwebs at the moment over hip scores, for example. <clears throat> there's a whole group of people that say you don't need to do hip scores as long as the dog's good at five. So years just old. just for the listeners, so that's like hip dysplasia. Is that what you mean? Yeah, hip dysplasia yeah. and elbow dysplasia. Um, very prevalent. Any any dog can get it. It's prevalent in in bigger dogs like Roddies and, and Danes and all that sort of stuff. So there's two groups. There's one group that says if the dog's good at five years, good to go, let's breed. It, it's never had any problems. But the problem is I've seen dogs that had really good functional hips, non-X-ray, throw bad hips in, in their puppies and bad elbows. So, And conversely, you can also have great X-ray elbows that will that will throw crappy, crappy elbows. So I'll talk about what we do with our dopes. Um, we hip and elbow score them, uh, X-rays them. They're X-rayed of hip and elbows and scored by the um, Australian Veterinary Scoring, I think it's called, and that gives a score from zero up. The lower the number, the better the hips. The more stable they are, the less chance, the, like the the um, socket that the hip joint sits in, the lower the score, the better it sits in there, and the same with the elbows. So, At what age is this? At five still? No, we do it. We do it at two two years old mm-hmm. um, before we breed. Before we breed that bitch or dog. Yeah. Um, personally, I like to do them. Uh, people say it's excessive, but I like to do it at again at, at uh, four years old, and I like to do it again at six years old. So if there's any problems, you can you can see that progression. If the if the hips are uh, on the way out, you can see that going. Lots of people just do them once, and that's good to go. But to me, that's, I do things a little bit over the top. Um, so we do spine x-rays. Spine x-rays is not a, not a requirement in the breed. Like not many people do spine x-rays. We do it because we can. While the dog's knocked out getting its hips x-rayed, it's no big deal to get the spine x-rayed. <clears throat> it just gives you a little bit more peace of mind that that spine's beautifully formed it's usually uh, small dogs like frenchies and dash hounds and those sort of things that it's got to be done um 
we also do full genetic testing on all our dogs. So they get a breed profile, which has uh, 20-something odd different genetic diseases the dogs can have, and they'll get um, – you can see whether they're clear of it, whether they're carrier for it, or whether they're affected by it. But it's not – when they're affected, it doesn't mean they're clinically affected. They have the, the gene um, we also do full detention, so we get our vet to sign off on detention so that he's, the vet signs off says, yes, full complement of teeth. We do eye certifications, so we take him to a, a specialist vet and he looks into the eye, signs off saying all the eyes are good, there's no problems with the eye. Um, what else do we do? We do thyroid. Um, we do thyroid every year. Uh, we do an echocardiogram every year because Dobermans are, are well known to have heart problems. And we also do what's called a halter test. So we hook a little thing up to the dog's chest and it records every heartbeat for a 24-hour period on a little USB stick. Um, and then we send that off to a mob in the US and they look at that entire 24 hours um, of heart activity and look for uh, variances. Um, they call them VP. CPCs. So a healthy dog should have zero. And then if the dog's got a bit of a ticker uh, problem, they could have three, four, five VPCs. We do things we the average pe- the average Doberman breeder doesn't do. We also um, genetic fingerprint all of our dogs, including when we import semen, we get that genetically fingerprinted. So um if you wanted to test your, say you bought a puppy office and you wanted to find out who the parents are, like to find out 100%, you can get that dog DNA tested and it'll be on the Oravets database through DNA. Who's the mum? Who's the dad? It's just yeah. a little It's just a little bit of extra because you, you, you know and I know that there's a lot of people that say that the sire of this litter is this sire where it's not. You've always... You've all, you've all heard the stories of, oh, I bought this Rottweiler puppy and then 12 months later it looks like a Rottweiler cross Kelpie. Yeah. So it's just something that we do. To, for In Queensland, to have open papers. Um, what does that mean? Right, right to breed papers so that you can do anything with that dog. You can breed that dog. Um, it must be um, proof of parentage through the DNA. We, we do... We go to the extreme, so um, I suppose the buyer doesn't have to worry about doing all the legwork for them. Yeah, it, it's like it's a minefield. You can buy a dog, and it's going to be a piece of rubbish. Doesn't matter how much the breeder's done, mm-hmm. but we're trying to reduce that. What we do is try to reduce that gamble. So, and how many like can he, and these dogs have to pass every single one of those tests? Well. <laughs> This is this is where this is where it gets a bit funny. German shepherds they have to be. Uh, I don't know a lot about shepherds, but I'll say that as far as I know with German shepherds, they've got to be hip scored and fall within an acceptable range mm-hmm. to be bred. <clears throat> Most other dogs breeds of dogs there is no that I know of. Um, there is no um, mandatory requirement to have a hip score of six. Or minimum, there's no no requirements by ANKC. So ANKC, which is Australian National Kennel Council, I think they're rebranding themselves to Dogs Australia now. Um, they've sort of dropped the ball, and 
um, don't require anybody to have anything other than two dogs that have got that are papered. So they don't require any health testing. So I'm always banging on. Like I get a lot of inquiries, hundreds of inquiries a year from people, prospective people looking for Doberman pups. And if we don't have any puppies on the litter, I generally don't rec- recommend any. I would recommend a couple of breeders that I, that I, that I do like. Um, but nine times out of ten, I'll say, look, this is the bare minimum that you want to look for, especially in Dobermans. You want hips and elbows. You want full genetic uh, breakdown. Um, and you want to see temperament. You've got, to, you've got to see the temperament of the parents. And preferably, if you can, litters that they've produced before. So if they're putting bitch X with dog B, you want to see, in a perfect world, you want to see what has that litter produced before. If, if it's been a repeat mating. Nice. So, and there's there's just so much dodgy dealings in the in the dog industry, the breeding industry. It's like people breeding for specific colours. You got people breeding for size. You got people, yeah, people just. When breeding do you think most of that started to change? Oh, it's never changed. It, it's 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 always been there. Do you think it's gotten it's, worse or better or? No, I, it's not going to change until the ANKC steps up, until they say, okay, this is, so we'll say hips on Dobermans. We'll say, okay, we will only allow you to register a litter of Dobermans from parents that have been hip scored, maximum hips of, say, 15, which is it's average for the breed. It's not gonna. It's not gonna. It's not gonna change. And but it's not so much the ANKC. It's it's um, sadly it's a lot of lack of education from buyers because there's just no no the information is, and the breed owners have, have dropped the ball too. So they're just not putting enough information out there uh, what to look for in a in a breeder, what to look for in in the parents of the dog, what sort of temperaments to look for. What breed specific? The information is available on Google, but the average the average um, buyer is just going to get on Gumtree and go, oh, "Yeah, we'll have a a Roddy. We've seen a Roddy down the street, but they won't go that extra. Yeah, that. But it, like, it's getting better. I, I'm getting a lot more inquiries from people that are a lot more educated in mm-hmm. in in the health testing and the that side of things, and it's getting better and better and better. But those but those people that are that are doing that, they're the ones that want to do something with their dog. They want to yeah, do something exactly. a little bit, yeah, not not a little bit more, but they want to, they, they, if they're going to spend four to four to five thousand dollars on a puppy, they generally want a little bit more peace of mind and guarantees and all that sort what of stuff. What can you tell to the next guy that's listening saying that says to me, Oh, we're not going to dissex our dogs, and dissexing isn't a thing. But let's just say this is how it happens. Oh, I'm not going to dissex him because I want to breed him or I want to breed her. Um, what do you say to that random person? Yeah, you might be lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we operate is we sell every puppy um, on what's called limited papers, so that puppy has no rights to breed at all. Um, mm-hmm. But what we do do is we'll say to those people that in two years' time, if you've done all the appropriate health testing, you bring that dog back to us. We'll temperament test it or you've titled it or done all this sort of stuff. And if we if we deem that dog worthy to breed, more than welcome. 
open. We'll like we'll change them over to open papers. Nice. So, how how is all of this sort of? I don't know. Can you say enforced? Like, is it a bit? I know they're papers and whatnot, but like, there's, is it, there's end no, of the day, it's a bit no of a gentleman's agreement. Well, if if I don't want to, if if say a, see, I've I've only had it happen once. I had, I had a puppy come back years and years ago. It had uh, ANKC titles to the roof. This was probably fifteen years ago. It had just about every obedience title you could think of getting. But the dog was super, super nervy, and I didn't like the sharpness of this dog. And I, I didn't open the papers because there was just the dog just was not indicative of the breed. It just was not a good uh, a good candidate to breed. Um, but for for enforcement, there's nothing enforcing it. The, it, it it's the up fact to of having a, a piece like so. When you say, "Oh, the A and K C." Um, deem this, uh, you know, um, a requirement. We're talking about being able to have papers, and not yeah, about like, the well, fact that you're allowed to breed the dog or not, unless that's a yeah, specific there's, requirement. There's, there's no, there's nothing like you can go and buy a, a purebred Roddy with papers limited from Joe Blow down the road, and if you want to put put that Roddy bitch with the next door neighbour's Roddy, you can. You can still breed, and there's nothing. There's nothing mm-hmm. to stop you. The breeder of the bitch or the dog possibly has a recourse through court, but it's going to cost money. But those puppies are not not going to have papers. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It, and how important is that for? Because some people couldn't care if they have a piece of paper or not. No, I get I get a lot of those inquiries all the time. Like I don't want papers. I just want to. I just want a pet. But the onus is on us. We can't sell a puppy without papers. Every yeah. puppy that we we breed. Has to be papered, or we'll get booted out of um, Dogs Queensland. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 a real nightmare, and it's a real minefield. Um, a lot of it is the best advice I can give anybody is not not join Facebook groups and ask questions on there because you're going to get bad information. It's just it's just Google like ANKC have databases. <clears throat> um, AKC in the US breed clubs have databases on what to look for, what what to look for in prospective breeders, what health testing's out there. Doesn't matter what what breed you choose, whether it's a toy teacup poodle or whether it's a Great Dane and everything in between. There's there's you, you, the information is there to find out. Like the, a lot of people just go, oh yeah, this dog looks cool, but they don't dive deep enough into the. The temperament issues that can come from the breed, the hip issues, the jaw issues, the heart issues, the spine issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just the, the education piece is the biggest. The is the biggest thing. Really good advice for people that are that have listened this far into the episode and to have a well. If I want to look, first of all, these are the reasons why just making two dogs um, mate to create a litter isn't always. Um, the best thing because we're thinking about the livelihood of the puppies and the people that are going to own those dogs um, in the future, but also it puts a little bit more um, like intention on it. Like, all right, well, having just a piece of paper means really nothing. Do the actual pragmatic things like check these tests that the things that you run for your dogs and check if the breeder has done it, how much information are you going to get from it? And there's nothing, the thing that there's nothing stopping. If you've got, I don't know, a Labrador, and you want to breed it to your next-door neighbour's poodle, there is nothing stopping you from doing exactly the same uh, gamut of health testing. There's nothing. Yep. None of these 
None of these health tests um, are, are like hips, all that. You can go to your local vet. Your local vet will 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 do those X-rays. He'll send them off to get scored. You could breed Cavaliers, cross Doodles, cross Great Dane, cross Pitbulls. Breed whatever you want. Yeah. But do your due diligence as well exactly. as the buyer. Like the, it, it, there just true. seems there just seems to be, and people and also people don't ask because the average breeder is not going to give up any information unless they're asked. Yeah, true. So when we get inquiries, I have a little a little file on my computer. Anyone inquires about a puppy, they just get an information dump, which yeah. is all that all the health testing of all of all the dogs in that litter of the bitch and the dog. And it's like there it is. Read it, don't read it. It's there for your information. How about people that just breed their dogs so that their dog becomes mature? You know, I think I don't know if I've heard that recently. Oh but yeah, they yeah, the one the time, right? Yeah, well, they'd say, oh, it's good for a good for a bitch to have a have a litter, and I want to have a litter so my kids can watch the puppies grow up. And no, unfortunately, not every dog on the planet is worthy of being bred. Um, I don't think there's a great value in kids seeing that sort of stuff. Um, my kids have grown up around dogs and they, they hate puppies. <laughs> they, they go, I'd say, oh, yeah, Lorca had nine puppies and you just see them roll their eyes. Oh, no, more puppies. Oh, no. <laughs> They're a lot of work, yeah. to be fair. Oh, I think a lot of people underestimate how much okay. work goes into a puppy. It is phenomenal. I, I made the fatal mistake of having three litters at once recently. <clears throat> only only reason I did three litters at once is one of my bitches was getting not old. She's she's four and a half, but I wanted to get another litter out of her. Um, I had a young bitch come in a season at the same time, and the timing I just because I got a lot going on later in the year, and my potato one of my potatoes came in a season. I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's get it. Let's get them all pregnant. Wow. So and I like as these as these dogs were getting closer and closer and closer to um whelping, I'm like, oh, this is just gonna be a mess. Mm-hmm. So I, I took Prickle, one of the bitches, over to Tracy Mammon, who you know well. Um, and she whelped that litter, did a phenomenal job on raising that litter. I whelped one litter here myself, and the little potatoes got whelped at the ex-wife's house. I would never, I'd never do that again. That's delegating. Um, Oh no! It was just insanity on my behalf to do it. Absolute insanity. Well, Even people think it's this like very exciting time. Oh, puppies! You know, it'd be so like nice, and it is. It's a- it is. It's it's shit. It is literally the most stressful time in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's you just it's yeah. Anyone that thinks breeding dogs is fun and it's and it's there's crazy money in it. Couldn't be further from, further from the truth. Like I just did the mathematics on my litter expenses of one of the this last litter I just did. It was seven thousand dollars just in litter expenses, mm-hmm. and that's registrations, feeding, importing the semen, um, everything. The artificial insemination was seven thousand dollars out of that litter before you even break even. And if yeah, well. I had a um, artificially inseminated litter here, she had one puppy. Yeah, wow. So you spend seven thousand dollars on one puppy, yeah, and you're wow. never you're never gonna you're never gonna sell that dog for that sort of money. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I, over the years, I think I'm, oh, I, I I don't even think I've broken even. Yeah, I wouldn't wow. have been, I wouldn't have even come close. That's very interesting, especially with those rising prices of 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 puppies and stuff. 
Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. You see, like you see a lot of the, the COVID price on puppies at the moment. I don't think it's like our prices have been like with our doe pups. We've pretty much had the same price for the last five or six years. Has that price gone down, that COVID puppy price? I haven't kept up with that. I had a look on Gumtree the other day, and there's some crazy, some crazy price puppies, like two and a half grand for a Rottweiler Kelpie cross. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I I still get it. Bro, what do you mean? Last year I heard a golden retriever puppy going for like eight to nine grand. Well, a guy that I work, do some work for, he bought a Beagle cross poodle, whatever they call that thing, (laughs) um, and paid $9,000 for it. Yeah, Be- beagle doodle or doodle beagle, or <laughs> that's a lot of dollary dues. Oh, that's yeah. a lot of doodle dollars, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It was, oh, it was crazy. And the dog, the dog's a reasonably nice dog. It's very nervy and very noisy yeah. and has trashed their back garden. But I'm like, man, money well spent. Lot. Oh yeah, he, he he sort of regrets that. He said, oh, I should have listened to you. Yeah, <laughs> but yet breeding okay. is is breeding is not. It's not all flowers and unicorn farts it mm-hmm. it is it is hard work it is uh, it is gut-wrenching it is soul destroying especially when you have a, like a puppy diet at three weeks like the bitch mm-hmm. might step on the puppy and it's soul destroying it's yeah. Yeah, i never used to worry me but the older i get the the more soul destroying it is mm. so yeah, it's it, it's rough it's we just rough. were saying and, before we went live um how a lot of the puppies, um, the recent puppies, got hookworm, and yep. you know new things and come up, and you got to do the right thing and be responsible. Yeah. And 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 at the moment, hookworm is is in plague all through Queensland. Um, it, it's shocking. We had one of the other puppies. The bitch just trod on his head, yeah, and it didn't kill him, but it was like twenty four hours of just this screaming puppy. We've been to the vets, and the vets are just. Bear with it, see what happens. I'm like, I, I can't do this. We're just going to have to put this little bugger down. And it's, yeah. and it happens every litter. It's unusual. It's unusual that all of your puppies that are born will make it through to the through to the final age. Like I, yeah. I always say, I'm going to lose one a litter. Yeah, a- accidents happen. That's nature, yeah. isn't it? It is, but it's it's it sucks. It's it's. I try to be very clinical about it. Um, but it's just the older, the older I get, the softer I get. I just can't, I just can't cope with it anymore. I've nearly given up breeding several times in the last two or three years. Well, hey, thanks for sharing that because I guess it, that's an uncomfortable truth that that needs to be oh, said. It, you know, it is like it's everybody just sees the dollar signs and they just think, oh, okay, you've had ten puppies and you're going to get four thousand dollars a puppy. Yeah, great, but all the sleepless nights, all the work. Yep. Two to three hours a day working on these puppies, handling the puppies, taking them. Like as soon as my pups hit eight, hit six weeks, they're going to work with me. I'll load the entire litter of puppies in the ute, and they'll go to work with me. Mm-hmm. So they're getting extra, extra, extra. It's probably what everyone three, should be doing. That'd be so cool if every puppy got a good foundation, right? <laughs> a lot of look. A lot of people aren't in the position that I am. I'm in. Sure. Like I, I can do shopping centers, schools. Dark alleys, building sites, mm. also I'm I'm lucky in that up and down in lifts, escalator, escalators, and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> but I think it's it, that's what I do is probably to the extreme. But there's a certain certain minimum requirement that a breeder exactly. must do. 
And these are the these are questions that the prospective buyer has to ask. It's like, okay, have have you taken the puppy here? Have you exposed it to this? Have you exposed it to that? What environmental stimulation have you done? Excuse me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So that's all very enlightening, man. There's a lot buyer of buyer be buyer beware. That's I get a lot of messages. Oh, I bought a puppy from XYZ and da 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 da, and it's got this and it's got that. And it's okay. What were the hip scores? Oh, um, I, I don't know. What was the DNA test on this? Oh, I I don't know. And I'm like, I try so hard not to be an asshole about it and say, look, you're a dickhead. You didn't ask the right questions and sucked in. But just a couple of minutes yeah. of research could just solve hours and hours and hours of pain and hours and hours of costs. And all this information you reckon is is out there. People can find. Oh, it, it, it's it's it. You pick any breed. Doesn't matter what it is. You can you can Google it for five minutes. There's going to be a lot of crap that you'll find, but you can Google it, find reliable resources on what genetic testing should be done, what are common diseases, traits, everything. It's all yeah. out there, and it's just it's just taking that extra incentive. Yeah, it's like 15, 20 minutes, and you can you can get a, a breeder checklist. Okay, ask this. Do they have that? Have they done this? And it's it's not it's not that hard. It's not hard. I say it's not hard because I've been doing it for so long. Yeah, do um, your homework basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buy beware, you because you're going to get used car salesmen out there, dog sellers that are just they're just going to tell you whatever you want to hear just to get the dog out. And as soon as as soon as that dog's paid for, poof, they disappear and you'll never hear from them again. Well, and thanks you'll, for and you'll do your thanks for all your wealth of knowledge, mate. I really appreciate you. Yeah sharing all this stuff with us and the listeners. Where can people yeah. find you before we wrap uh, this up? Well, there's my the dog equipment business, which is Einsweck Dog Quip. It's on Facebook, Insta, whatever. The we'll put a link use. in the um, in the show notes. For anyone yep. who's looking for solid, high-quality, Australian-made dog equipment. Yep. Let's say that. that. And, yeah, Einsweck Working Diamonds is the, the puppy side of things, the dog side of things with the breeding. I haven't got any anything else for the other stuff I do, but I've awesome. just been too slack. No, nah, man, you do enough, and um, and I've been waiting and looking forward to um, getting you on the show for so long. And and I know that you're listening because some of the random messages that I get from you are only from the conversations <laughs> we've had. On you. <laughs> yeah, it's and two I'm o'clock like, in the morning, you'll get a random message. <laughs> exactly, um, but it's been awesome and heaps of good info out there for people. So um, thanks, bro, for coming on, and I'll be looking yeah, forward time, to man. the next time. Yeah, anytime, mate. You know where to get hold of me, mate. You know I never sleep. Yeah, I, I do. Um, and you make sure that you get that bridge fixed soon, eh? Oh, one day, someday. You're having too much fun with the quad, though. Yeah, no. It's, no. You, know, you have no idea how filthy I get going up and down the muddy driveway. Oh, wow. Well, well maybe one day I'll come and visit you. Yeah, maybe. I'll make sure <laughs> I'm not home that day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, See guys, you, nice to meet you, Luke, and I'll, I'll catch you next time I'm in Sydney, guys. Thanks, mate. I appreciate your help. Have See you, bro. Day, hey? Take See care. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training. My website 
npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, .com.au. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.